From our headquarters in Oslo, Norway, and on behalf of our host, Robbie Peralta, welcome to the Mnemonic Security Podcast. Now, I'm not sure about you, but if I'm not fed properly, I become hangry. And I know we've all heard about the manipulation of the U.S. presidential election, but if you really want to find an example of a cyber attack making everyday Americans angry, look no further than the ransomware attack against meat processing corporation JBS, which led to an $11 million ransom payment, meat shortages in the grocery stores, price increases, and presumably, a lot of hangry Americans. Six months later, Norwegian meat processor Nortuda also experienced a cyber incident. And I myself read the piece of paper hung up in the meat section, attributing the lack of meat to a cyber attack. It wasn't all that big of a deal for us because we still had our fish and potatoes. Not gonna lie though, I completely overlooked the importance of food producers in my everyday life. And it wasn't until I read through an award-winning master's thesis on the topic before it sunk in that security incidents can, and probably will, affect the availability of food in the future. Karianna Sjönås, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You uh, absolutely nailed it at our um, Christmas table, our Christmas meeting, the ISACA Christmas meeting this year. Yeah, thanks for getting to be here and talk about yeah. this topic. We're going to be talking about a topic that we all take very much for granted, and that is uh, food security or food safety. What would you call that? I think food safety. Yeah, food safety is a... Uh, the term, but it's kind of ensuring food security through cybersecurity. Yes, the, the supply chain of food for cyber. Yeah, either way. <laughs> what did you study? Uh, I took uh, first the bachelor's degree in IT operations and information security. And then I continued on the master of information security, specializing in security management. Where where was this? NTNU. Uh, in Jövik. Yeah. So... Cool. Have, Are there lots of farms there? Or? It's a, <laughs> it's a inlandet, so yes, surrounded by farmland. Uh, yeah, right. Why don't you tell us what the context of this episode is? What did you write your master's about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I did my master thesis on how uh, cybersecurity incidents can affect Norwegian food production, and I sent that into Isaga and won the Isaga award this year. The best master thesis, 2023. Yeah, that was really fun. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. So just as an introduction, I don't think people think about this very often. Um, In your slides, I remember you had like an industrial revolution about how technologically advanced food is these days. Yeah, so we've done farming for forever, it seems, (laughs) in this world. It's a very old industry. But with the industrial revolutions, farming has taken quite a technological development. They introduced steam machinery and that was used in farming as well. And then electricity and OT and IT technologies are very much in use in farming today. And then especially now with data being so important, it's also very important for farming Uh, and automation Mm. and IoT and AI uh, and all of these very high technological solutions are used a lot in, in food production, especially in more developed countries. And this will vary quite across the world, but also here in Norway, mm. the US is very far along in mm. terms of this. 
for your thesis specifically, I know you had like everything from like dairy farming. How many different like sectors of mo- or food production is there? I think there's more than I have control over. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> so I looked at uh, cattle and pigs in my thesis specifically, but also chicken is very um, uses a lot of technology, and you have many uses goats and and sheep for ge- like geofencing is very popular. Is it? And then you also have the fish industry, big thing here in Norway, and mm. production there. Uh, but also the more uh, farmland and that type of agriculture and cereals and vegetables and crops. And yeah, we have a lot of areas where uh, different technologies are used. I remember you presenting up there and I got lost in my head because I was like, yeah, okay, the fish, they, the fish farmers, they use these technologies, right? They use lasers to, you know, zap the fish in their luxus and... So every single vertical when it comes to food has their own technology and it's, yeah, they're all from different, are they all from like similar producers? Do you know? I think there are a lot of, for one industry, you have some very big producers, like in milking and dairy, you have the Laval, which is an international Mm -hmm. company and it's used a lot in the US as well. And it's a big one here in Norway and also Lely is also international so I I don't know about all other industries, but at least for tractors and these kind of big machinery, they are international companies. Yeah. John Deere is John Deere, no matter where in the world you are, I guess. Yeah. But like so, that that first company you mentioned when it came to dairy, was that like a, a, a milker's machine or something? Or Yeah, they produce okay. milking robots, um, yeah. which are critical for production of d- uh, dairy. Right. In the U.S., for example, you have huge carousels where you can milk hundred, uh, hundreds of cows simultaneously. And in Norway, we often have one machine or two on the bigger farms. Is that just because of the supply demand or like why why so many more in the States? Yeah, it's Rules, I mean, maybe. very like difference in also obviously size of the country. <laughs> That's a lot to say. We are a small country in Norway. But also like how centralized or decentralized the farming industry is. Uh, in Norway, we have 38,000 different farms. And though it's less than it was before, we have centralized somewhat. We still have a lot of different locations. And a big farm can have 60 cows. Is considered a big dairy farm in Norway. In the US, that will be very small. <laughs> and they have more centralized, big production industries, basically. And while in Norway, we have a model that allows for very much smaller farming. Mm. And also we have, because of the way our country is built with all the mountains, it's easier to have distributed production to mm. um, deliver all this. So we want to produce locally. Mm. Short traveled food. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Directly it's translated. A, <laughs> yeah. It's a value in our country also. And I think that probably has had an effect mm. on us still being decentralized in that way. I know from experience that uh, in California, if you're driving from where I'm from to San Francisco, for example, you'll drive by these like uh, dairy farms and you will, you can drive for five minutes going hundred miles an hour and you're still at the dairy farm and there's like hundreds of thousands of cows, you know? Yeah. So, and so um, in that, we don't have that in Norway. No. Good. Good. Uh, the cows are happy for that. They yeah. say happy cows come from California, but I'm not sure if that's true. But anyway, um, tell us about your, uh, your thesis. What did you do in your thesis? Yeah. So... It's a qualitative study, and as preparation for the study, I did a, a literary review 
on basically just looking at what research is there on cybersecurity in farming technologies globally. And I saw there was really a lack of research into how cyber incidents and threats, because there were huge research on threats to farming technologies. And they said like this attack can have a consequence for availability, but no one considered um, in a structured manner went into, okay, but if this system is unavailable, what does that mean for production on that farm and their mm. ability to deliver their product? And so I wanted to um, gather, and there's very little data, so it had to be kind of a qualitative study just figuring out, okay, what, what technologies do we actually use on farms in Norway? And then which of these are critical for production? Because that's really what's interesting. If you if a hacker takes down a system that isn't really critical, then doesn't really have a big consequence. Um, and what did you find? So, in first, I interviewed fourteen cattle and pig farmers on what technologies they used and how important they were in terms of confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And also, I interviewed two service technicians of milking robots just to see how easy are they to attack mm. and basically what I found that it's not difficult to attack a milking robot but attacking one farm won't really have an effect on the supply of food especially in Norway um, there are very few systems that they use that are critical but for dairy farming it's the milking robot is the only critical system and then mm. for the pea farmers they are critically dependent on the feeding system, uh, the automatic feeding system, because they have there are so many kilos involved with feeding pigs and they didn't have the manual capacity uh, to, to feed all arms those. to feed them, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of kilos. And if you have about 60 uh, pigs or over 100, then you like it's not uh, cost efficient also to hire that many people to do it when you can get a machine to do it. Uh. And, and so so these are critical and it's not difficult for a hacker to stop these systems, but that doesn't really affect the national food supply in Norway. Mm. And so what I see is that for a threat actor that wants to affect the food supply, the supply chain is really a much more interesting target. I'd be very surprised if, um, if uh, a dairy... Uh, a cow farmer or uh, somebody that you know works with uh, with pigs, they're not exactly security people. Can you confirm that? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, that in the literature review I did, someone had actually in Finland interviewed dairy farmers and looked at the network security and also about their capabilities. And yeah, like farmers have a lot of work to do, and they do not have any education in security as well, so they don't have the capacity or the capabilities to stand up to serious threat actors. But at the same time, there are small things they can do and basic security measures. And one of the farmers I farmers I interviewed actually had been hit by a ransomware, but she had a oh, son wow. that uh, knew security, so was able to kind of stop it, luckily for her. but um, So there are some things they can do, but that's more to protect themselves because it's very sad for the farmer and they lose money if they are hit. But in the UK, they did the NCSC. Uh, NCSC, yeah. Yeah, uh, went together with a 
union for farmers and developed like a farmer guide to cybersecurity. Cool. And I would guess that same guide would be applicable to both your friend in Finland and in Norway, right? Yeah, I think general uh, basic measures and password policies and what you should limit use of personal things on the farmhouse network and these types of simple measures and two-factor authentication. It's globally good advice. Yeah, and, right. And, and that just protects farming because the farmer, it's a business and you want to protect yeah. your business. If I remember from presentation, so if you're going to attack individual farm, yeah, uh, that would be a very easy pen test to, uh, to get around, I guess, especially if you're dealing with somebody advanced. But let's say for some reason, some foreign actor wanted to like disrupt the, the food supply at a nation level. How is that possible? So the supply chain is very big or there are a lot of actors involved and I don't myself have an overview of all actors. I, I learn new names regularly of companies hmm. to have those that deliver machines to uh, the farms, for example, like the Lavan Lely and, and the f- feeding system producers and all of these. And for example, if we look at the solar winds attack and sending a virus through a software update, if someone, mm-hmm. in, if an advanced threat attacks the lava and, and pushes out a virus in their security update, then you can do a lot of damage across Norway because mm-hmm. that milking robot is very popular in our country. Right. Uh, and also for the feeding system, for example, one of them used TeamViewer to remotely access and do service on the feeding system. And TeamViewer is not known to be, or it's, it has been used in some attacks throughout the world. It's very popular amongst the hackers. They love it. <laughs> yeah. Again, so, so some measures used to keep maintenance of these machines can be used to attack them. And if you then go through the supplier of these machines, you can take out multiple at the same time. Mm. But then you also have those that deliver uh, other products like feed to, that, to the farms. We have... Um, Fellowship in Norway is a very big supplier of feed. And if they weren't able to deliver feed to all of these farms in Norway, then animal welfare would be a problem. But also um, animals that are unfed properly also can't produce in the same way. Mm. All right. They need feed every day. And, and farmers do have a supply they buy for maybe three weeks or, or longer at a time, they, but they can't go on forever. So, or if they up and get hit three days before someone is low on their supply and, and they're gone for two weeks, then then we have a problem. Yeah, and the animals definitely have a problem. Right? Yeah, uh, but then on the yeah. other side, you also have those that receive products from the farmers and and develop them. Like, uh, And we have seen an example of such an attack in Norway in 2021, Natura, which is a, a meat processing company. They were attacked and, and they managed to limit the uh, consequence of the ransomware by turning off their systems. But it took under two weeks before they were uh, up again with like um, manual routines and sending paper orders and taking orders by phone. But still, that led to some empty shelves in the stores. And over Christmas, so people were very much not happy with mm. that. Uh, and also Tina, which is the same in milk. Tina and Nutrida are market regulators in Norway because they are so big. They are required to receive or collect milk and meat from every farm in Norway that wishes to. And if they weren't able to do this job, then we wouldn't be able to produce. And Tina delivers to a lot of 
dairy producers uh, that those that produce cheeses and and dairy products in on the shelves they deliver milk to these as well. Yeah. So this system is very interconnected. And yeah. a very small amount of players as well. Yeah, especially the big ones. I think there are a lot of small ones, for example, producing seeds and you also have some mm. big actors in producing fertilizer and some are global, some are small, some are more specific and we have a lot mm. of small actors, but but we have some very big, very important actors that are responsible in, for a huge part of the supply chain. Yeah. So it's a very big, uh, there's a large amount of a systemic risk here from a cyber perspective. Yeah, definitely. We are very dependent on the few. So we have local yeah. mills, but when you have market regulators, if they aren't able to deliver, then we don't really have anyone else available with the capacity to collect that amount of milk exactly. from the farms. And I remember I've been working with Scarity for like eight years or nine years, and I've never had so many people text me uh, as the day that that happened in Tudor, right? Because everybody, everybody that was walking by, everybody that was at the store sent me a message like, hey, are you guys working on this? <laughs> You know, so there's a lot of attention that, uh, and we saw that, I think you mentioned it, the JBS, did you mention the JBS uh, event in the States as well? Yeah, so that was in 2021 as well. And they stand for about a quarter of cattle meat, or cow meat, and a, a fifth of pig meat in the US. And they were hit by ransom, they chose to pay, but it cost them one day of production. And this led to a national US meat shortage. And According to FBI, a 25% increase in prices from that one, one day, day. Wow. of production stopping. Yeah. And so globally, we can see these actors are very important. Yeah. And I think so that's that why they paid, didn't really feel like yeah. they had the choice. Do you know what they paid? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. they were... But either way, whatever they paid was probably uh, nothing compared to what it would have cost them them as a company not to produce, and also just the uh, Americans without their meat, they would go crazy. There'd be riots in the street, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not a good side, so, yeah. I think. Not, no, exactly. So um, I remember uh, after your fantastic presentation, you had a lot of questions from the, uh, from the crowd asking, like, what should we do? Yeah, that a lot of things. I think one of the issues um, is that there's very little information. We know very little of this area of cybersecurity in food supply and we have some um, preparedness in the in terms of supply that come from natural disasters for example it's considered having readiness in the sector but but not from a cyber perspective mm. and but we just need to discover more what do we actually know and what do we have of procedures in cases where these things happen and also, what are the important actors? Which are there any other uh, actors that we don't know about that are critical for the supply chain? And so we need to do a lot of discovery. And then also, due to the type of research I did was only on uh, cattle and pig farms. What about the chicken farms? Mm. They heavily rely on temperature control to keep their chickens alive. And I did interview one. A chicken farmer, but it only once I couldn't include it in the research. But he said that a fault that was because of a lightning strike that caused the system failure, and that to get all the chickens because that um, temperature control system stopped working. 
Mm. And chickens are very sensitive and they're young in terms of exact humidity and tem- temperature and all this. And then you have the more traditional farmland and the tractors and the whole John Deere, like tractors that are definitely hackable from long distance as demonstrated by on DEFCON, but also by John Deere themselves and Russian hackers. And, and yeah, you got to tell us that story, by the way. That was good. <laughs> yeah, it's a very fun, kind of a fun story. So in 2021 at DEFCON, uh, two hackers demonstrated kind of the ease of getting remote access to John Deere attractors. And John Deere kind of responded and said that, okay, you can't do this on tractors that are on farms. It's just uh, tractors that aren't in production yet or at customers' places. But then during the war, there were two John Deere tractors in Ukraine that was stolen by the Russian military. And so John Deere themselves used that remote connection to turn off those tractors. But then the Russian hack- military had hackers that turned them on again. Mm. And so like they said themselves, you can't do this. And then John Deere did themselves yeah. as part of the war. Yeah. And it kind Good of just example, shows, just everything is connected, right? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of just shows how easy these technologies are to hack. Yeah, because they're not really meant to be. These are not technologies that need to be locked down for, or maybe they should be locked down, but that's that's not what they were thinking about when they made them. No, guess. I think that's kind of a systematic issue in this case is that a lot of other critical societal functions we've thought about cybersecurity in them, like the power industry. We we think that okay, this this can be targeted. And health, we, we know that we need to protect data here. And then in the agriculture industry, you have an, a very expansive digitization and use of technologies, but you haven't really thought about cybersecurity alongside that development. And so mm. we're just left with a lot of technologies that are really vulnerable. Yeah. Appreciative that you're uh, highlighting this. Uh, or the, the pro- Actually, it's a problem. It's a very big risk. That our yeah. society is uh, something so critical as food. Probably some of these actors have thought about cybersecurity. It's not like I'm the first one talking about it, but we need to know. That's kind of my point. There's a lot of things we don't know. And some maybe some person out there sits with more information on, okay, we do have some security within this area, but we need to lift that to a higher level and make it public knowledge and confirm that, okay, do we know all the risks and vulnerabilities in the industry? Are we aware mm. of every area where an attack would be critical? Mm. And I think right. there are some areas we do not know about. For sure. Well, uh, are you going to continue studying or are you going to work in this from the from the corporate side and help clients uh, get, get this in order? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I finished my master this June and now I'm a consultant at PWTC working with cybersecurity. Mm. So cool. hopefully we can work with some clients in the industry and create work from that side, that would be really nice. But um, I do know my supervisor wants me to do a PhD on the topic. Yeah. So we'll see maybe in the future after getting some industry experience, maybe I'll go back to yeah. doing my research and having, because then I feel like I have more solid ground to stand on in doing that research mm. with, with the industry knowledge. I really hope that you do continue that. And uh, I guess the good thing about this uh at, what do they call it in Norway? A national grundlag in the functional, a very yes. important entity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think, and hopefully, like these big ones take 
kind of the responsibility of the sector. But I also think in other critical societal functions in Norway, we have the state supports and gives budgets to secure <laughs> that uh, industry. And NSM, like National mm. Security Authority Norway, they have in their 2022 report highlighted that we need to be aware of our supply chain. We do not have a good enough overview of our supply chain in order to know what we need to protect. And so hopefully mm. when we do know more, they can help us protect it also. But yeah, I think the combination mm. of of it's a, um, it's a national responsibility, but also the big actors can take on some of the responsibility to secure their own sector and help the smaller ones. Because there are right. a lot of small companies within the sector that do not have the capability or capacity to do this on their own. Well, Karianna, we heard it from you first. Thank you so much for highlighting this uh, this risk, and congratulations on your um, on the 2023 uh, Isaka Prison. Thank you, thank you for you having me it. here. We wish you the best of luck. Um, and even though I guess PwC is, is, is per, uh, by definition a competitor to Monarch, I wish both you and P- PwC the best in this area. <laughs> we all want thank you so to much work to secure the world. We all need to eat. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that being said, now it's dinner time. Enjoy your evening, Gardella. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Mnemonic Security Podcast. If you have any concepts or ideas that you'd like us to discuss on future episodes, please feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn or to send us a mail to podcast at mnemonic.no. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.